Yeah, I talked to JP uh, last um, a couple of weeks ago, and he wa we just ended up talking about the political project that you are involved, which sounded extremely interesting, and I think it will be nice um, to start uh, maybe with um, an introduction of the project, how it started, and then just very simply explain the kind of form or format that you use, uh, because it's something that I found it quite refreshing. Uh, maybe, yeah. or maybe first, yeah, and also locating it, you know, like obviously you are both based in Brazil, but maybe if you can just give a bit of a historical context, so where you started and when, and then, yeah, how is it that you work with this format? Yeah, just to just put in context a little bit, am, am I being recorded? I'm not seeing the... Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm seeing. Okay, sorry. Uh, just to put a little, uh, con put it, put a bit in context uh, what Martin just said, we, we were discussing, uh, and I mentioned the, the circle of studies of the idea and ideology, which is this, uh, this organization that we we're talking about. I uh, and then he was very interested and invited me to to come to the to the podcast, but as I was kind of a latecomer to the to the CSII, uh, I suggested that we invited also Gabriel Tupinamba, who was one of the founders of the circle. So just to put this in context, right? Uh, and yeah, and if Gabriel maybe want to add something and maybe talk a little bit about the history of the, of mm -hmm. the circle since I, I came in like in 2016 and the circle officially exists at least since 2012, right? Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, and yet has and it has also a previous history of other other organizations, other incarnations. So maybe Gabriel can uh, elaborate a little bit on that and then we'll discuss Yeah, it. actually, you know, like when we were talking about what, you know, preparing uh, what we would say today, uh, I realized something, which is, I think, uh, JP uh, joined the circle in 2016, and that kind of marks kind of a part, like, if I, we could divide the, the project, I mean, it could be more subtle about it, but definitely you could divide it into two big sec sequences, one up until 2016 and, and one from 2016 up to when it dissolved, I think. So I think it's interesting that we actually, you know, I think it was very, uh, uh, it wasn't a trivial moment where JP joined and things we went through in this kind of second moment uh, were quite distinct of what was happening before. Because, okay, so to give a bit of context, uh, the, the name of the project, uh, which I, I deeply regret having proposed it, is circle of studies of idea and ideology. So CSII, right? Uh, but uh, in Portuguese, it's SEI, Círculo de Estudos da Ideia e da Ideologia. It's the longest name for a collective. It, it usually made people think we were doing something else than we were doing. Everyone thought it was a study group because it had the word study in the title. <laughs> it lasted as a, as a sort of theoretical or kind of uh, scholarly endeavor for about two months, 
in 2012 before we let go of that idea. But by then, we already had that horrendous name and we kept it. I mean, I'm fond of it, but it's kind of deceiving. Originally, the name was meant to counter or to continue uh, to put ourselves in the same trajectory as, you know, the circle, uh, circle of epistemology that happened in France in the 70s, late 60s, right? We had, uh, we had this idea that they were... Over, part of the problems that appear in, in, in that context had to do with the weird separation from the, this group of people discussing Lacan, Marx, Althusser, or whatever they were discussing science, and where actual politics was happening at the time. And those two things were very separate. So on the one hand, we wanted to suggest that there was some continuity. On the other hand, we, we felt we were proposing like something slightly different, but in the same direction by trying to bring that sort of concern closer to the actual political field. Uh, so the project uh, has a kind of prehistory because... Uh, the general idea, of the, or, or, or at least the original kind of propositions that founded it, appeared in a study group uh, that was happening a couple of, from 2010 uh, up until 2012, where we were mostly concerned with understanding what sort of collective logic could be extracted from psychoanalysis and the work of Lacan and people like Zizek and like Lacanian-inspired Marxists, right? Uh, and our basic, I would say, like the basic thing we, we our wager at the time was that there was kind of hidden within Lacan's theory and not really kind of cohesive with his own remarks about collectivity, group structures, and things like this, but it was kind of mixed with it. There was sometimes the idea... It, there was a rational logic in which collectives could learn from their failures, change based on that failure. They could live well with inconsistencies and contradictions. And we felt like Lacan had something to say about that, that sort of uh, less naive relation between negativity, contradiction, and collectivity and consistent uh, collective building, right? Uh, and while we were studying these things, I was already a militant for a leftist party in Brazil. And this party, uh, the Socialism and Freedom Party, PSOL, here in Brazil, it decided it would create a sort of revolutionary study center. It didn't have like an educational branch or anything like this. So they said they wanted to create that. I decided I wanted to participate. And I felt like it was an opportunity to bring these weird ideas we were developing into kind of a party structure and see what we could do with people who were seeking militant kind of formation. I'm not sure how, if you say it in those terms, but uh, kind of do some studies within a more politically oriented organization, right? Uh, well, that, that project of revolutionary study center never happened. So we were kind of just us there. Uh, and the... In fact, what we learned, and I didn't know that at the time, naive as I was, is that I had the absolutely naive impression that a party that has a void, like lacking a cer certain resource, lacking a certain structure, 
has actually an empty place, like something waiting to be filled by an, a project or a proposal. But that's not true. It was actually a very structuring void. It wasn't meant to be filled. The moment that somebody proposed, why don't we do this thing here? We realized that there were like 20 different groups inside the party, all of them paranoid about what was going to be taught or discussed in those places. And all of them worried about it and trying to kind of undermine anything from actually being constructed. So at that point, we said, okay, we need to create this more autonomously. We'll remain connected to the party, but try to come up with this organization where we'll study this more contemporary philosophical authors that all seem to point towards this direction that you don't need to choose between having a consistent kind of uh, disciplined or or a cohesive sort of group structure or a contradictory, conflictive, inconsistent political process. You can, those two things actually go very well together. One can inform the other. And you, we felt like this could solve certain problems we were seeing amongst different leftist groups. Usually you have a group, it grows to some size, then it splits into two separate groups. One calls the other Stalinist group and they never speak again. So we wanted to solve that sort of thing. Uh, but we thought we were doing, as the name of the project says, we were doing something theoretical. We would like teach militants about Lacan and that would do some good. <laughs> I don't know why we thought that. But uh, I think with two, three months of this, uh, people coming to like this small room in Rio to discuss these things, one thing that became clear is that more and more of our meeting time was concerned with how to get people into the room and who was getting to the meetings. Because, well, if you have a meeting room like in downtown Rio, it's one bus ride for some people, it's two bus rides for other people, it's impossible to get there for some other people, right? So you could see that the meeting room was filtering who could join and who couldn't in a way that was making our very universalist, uh, beautiful project look kind of ridiculous. Uh, and only academics would come and people in the party who already had like researches. It's clear that we weren't really getting anywhere. And what was weird, and that's why I say we changed course very early on, is that it became more productive the more we focused the meetings on the organizational issues and less on the theoretical issue. So at first, it seemed like we were uh, organizing meetings in order to study. And suddenly, it became like the meetings we were studying just to have an excuse to organize that space. And I think that was the first big kind of hypothesis that we developed. And that wasn't really the product of any particular person. I mean, I can give a sort of anecdotal way that disappeared, but ultimately it was a product of that process, which was the wager that there is something about organizational problems, the really boring ones, the, the kind of go from bureaucratic to sort of questions of just dealing with people's little petty issues, that sort of boring organizing dimension, that it cuts across ideological questions most of the time. So, for example, this group, when it was created, it catered or it, it, it 
caught the attention of very distinct trends inside the party. They didn't really agree with each other in any matter, even though they're all in the same leftist party, but you guys know that this is not impossible, right? So uh, we had this sort of uh, highly conflictive situation, but they all went to see what we were doing. Suddenly, the questions of who gets to go to the meeting are of interest to all those different political trends and why people don't get to the meeting and how do you organize meetings? Where do you organize them? How do you record the material? Who gets to speak? Those things are, they don't really respect certain ideological boundaries. They seem much more like a, a concrete touching stone to know what was real and what was not than the crazy theories and political discourse we had. So our big wager was that there's something about the organizational practice uh, which had the, a sort of diagonal capacity. It could cut across a lot of ideological divisions within the left. And this proved itself to be very true for the next 10 years because the group started to, once we left the, the, this particular party and started working with a, high, like a larger ecology of different organizations, we had like hardcore anarchists, radical communists, mostly apolitical people together with like social democrats from different currents and they all ended up bringing stories and problems and kind of case studies of things that were going through that all sounded exactly the same when seen from that perspective right the sort of organizational point of view so that was our first big wager uh, i would say the second right the first was that there was really no not much of a point teaching theory in in a political party like that was just a ridiculous idea and second, that there was actually something to be pursued in that idea, that to focus on this sort of uh, administrative, bureaucratic, uh, but not necessarily so, uh, dimensions of organization. And to realize that that's actually a place for a lot of invention. I think that this was something that brought the group, uh, I think, perhaps a corollary of that big hypothesis or the big kind of statement was that that's a formal dimension of, of political process, right? To, to, question, to ask yourself how to organize, it kind of raises the question of the forms, the ways that things will be done rather than what's going to be done. And I think that settled what was really the very weird, very unstable. I know that when, once JP uh, joined, it was still like this, very weird place that we occupied. So we were inside... Uh, the political environment, the leftist kind of scene, but we weren't like organizing protests or joining uh, some movement directly. We were a weird space where people from different organizations joined. It was a, I, I, now I see that it was quite rare that we don't have many forums in Brazil where that level of heterogeneity I think was possible. Uh, People joined, and then we created, slowly through the years, we created a sort of formal device to try to, let's say, perturb this heterogeneous sort of sample. And I think that it probably from to, it took about two years to develop it. So between 2013, 2014, we started developing this. This also was necessary because the group was growing. So by 2014, we had groups in... Rio, Sao Paulo, 
uh, in the States, there was an online version happening. We're trying to create a group in Canada. Uh, people from other places in Brazil were starting to get, getting interested. So we had a lot of people. We couldn't just have one meeting or just separate meetings. So we divided the structure in two, two big uh, kind of dimensions. The first is the actual meeting. And the second was what we call the subsets, where you could... So the, the, the actual meetings... They had two, so I'll just divide those two structures first. So the, the actual meeting, it worked like this. We had two devices to decide if you are part of the group or not. The first is that you filled in a form, but the form was weirdly self-referential. We just asked, I mean, it, it went through different iterations. The first one was the most pedantic one. It asked like the Kantian questions and you had to answer them. <laughs> Like, what can I expect? Like, we never really cared for what you answered, but they had, like, this very exaggerated... What, what was the first, the first version like, of the form? Like, what to expect? No, I, uh, sorry, it was the, it was the <laughs> negative. Like, what not to remember. expect? What yeah. can I not know? And what can I not do? I don't know, I forgot... Like yeah, what, I, I did. I, I didn't. I didn't answer to that form. I think the form I answered was a bit different already. <laughs> yes, it was. It was better because our idea was not to evaluate people's answers, but to evaluate mm -hmm. if they answer. Like, yeah, if yeah. they were like weird enough to think it's okay to answer a crazy form like that to enter an organization, a form that is not asking anything ideological of you, just asking you some questions. It was enough. It, we it didn't go through like a, re, a veto uh, process or anything like this, but we had this form. It's, it's kind of consolidated uh, uh, version was just asking the person to read the project of the circle and comment whatever they wanted. It could be like a total critique. They could say they hated it. If they yeah, just man. answered the question without like undermining the question's existence, like, you know, smart asses will say not gonna like the answer pretending like they didn't or something like that taking that possibility aside but even in some cases we actually accepted it you, you were in so getting in was very easy so people from all sorts of different kind of ideological positions were joining some very clearly leftists others not so much others Full, like, like they call themselves right wingers, but then we felt like if you join the group, you're happy here, you do what we do. I think we have a bad news for you. I don't think you're a right, <laughs> right. So, the, so entering was very easy. Like we was, we were very porous to join our meetings, to come and to have access to all the data of the group was very easy. We recorded everything we did and put it publicly online. We believed in anonymity by excess. Nobody cared we existed. And also, if they wanted to find something, it was just so much information, they probably would never find it. Uh, but what was harder, what was the, let's say, the, the novelty, was that once you joined, the criteria for belonging was continuous, meaning every meeting you were invited to write a little note about the meeting you were part of. We would get all the notes from all the participants, somebody we call the plus one, the guy who kind of coordinates the meeting, would try to associate, based on whatever criteria they wanted, themes or aspects of these different notes. 
And then the next meeting will start with a sort of exposition based on the notes of the previous meeting. And that would actually carry the discussion forward. But people would write anything in these notes. So, I mean, you can imagine if like a hardcore communist joins a group, you can bet that the first thing, at least in Brazil, he's going to write in his notes is like a long, you know, text about the revolution and landing. And so, so some notes were like 15 pages long. Some other notes were people saying things like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this group. Like I just joined because my friend joined or I didn't understand anything that was discussed last week. Things like this. So to stay in the group, you had to kind of punch that card weekly by writing this. The moment that you stopped writing, like after a couple of weeks, you understand that you don't want to.
was it was so light also a commitment yeah yeah at some point i was uh, i i owed like four four notes for four weeks that i was i don't know why i didn't write the the, the notes i just sent i owe you four notes one word per note and that was it <laughs> I, paid, <laughs> i paid my debt so <laughs> really what, what i think it's important to stress is that uh, the note has this kind of imperative um kind of character you have to write a note but what's i think what i think it's crucial is that there there's no requirements regarding the content of the note so because there are no requirements regarding the content of the note Uh, what what this yield in a certain sense is that you become legible to the organization because you interpret the imperative the way you think the collective wants you to respond. So you have this weird, you know, um, uh, circuit that yields a certain knowledge of the experience of the members and of the and of kind of a in a meriological sense, I don't know, in a structural sense of the organization at large. What's, what, what are the effects of the organization at present and why the people are responding as they are responding? And also, of course, sometimes people responded just, oh, I'm, I'm, I got a fucked up job. I'm, you know, uh, I'm having, having trouble, uh, I'm not, uh, getting a living and all, all these kind of things also. So there are lots, lots of, you know, concrete situations are commented in the notes, but also, Those are informative regarding to regarding the way the members are seeing what they're doing, what they are doing in the in the collective, and further what the collective, what they think the collective is asking of them, which is yeah, kind of interesting, really... interesting, interesting material. Yeah, yeah, I think it's worth saying also that these notes were anonymous, so nobody, so people were less inhibited about sending something. A lot of notes were very aggressive, like. This is not going anywhere. We're not aiding the revolution or whatever, things like that, right? Uh, others were a bit more candid about not understanding something or liking a previous note, like one note could refer to another. But I think that but what... Are, sorry, but, but yeah. are these notes available online for the members or are you reading all these notes? Everything was available, yeah. Okay, so you have the meeting, you collect the notes, and then the notes are available for all the members. Yeah. Okay. So we actually, we did like the order was like this. So let's say we had a meeting. So b before the next meeting, everyone had to send their notes like by the, by the middle of the week. We upload them so everyone can see them before the meeting. And the coordinator of that next meeting was responsible for reading all of them. Sometimes it could be a lot. Like there were times where there were like 20 per meeting in each of these different places. Mm -hmm. And trying to propose some sort of weird synthesis, but it was a very free-form synthesis, right? I mean, it could be like, sometimes I remember a, 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 a guy who just went looking for the same word in all the... Okay. And he made like a, quanti quant a quantified analysis. We're talking a lot about this thing here. I don't know why. It just brought that back. Sometimes, like when I was a coordinator, I, I tried to... I'm very megalomaniac, so I tried to like combine everything that was said by everyone, but kind of a failure, but at the same time, just bring it back. So the circuit, like if you look at this feedback, it's not really like I get back what I send because I send something based, I feel like I was interpolated by the group to do something, yeah. but nobody told me what to do. So when I write it, I'm already interpreting the collective. I think what they want me to do is this. It might be like a positive interpretation, like I'm going to 
give you what you want, but it might be a negative one. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need, right? Tell the, the truth about the problems of the collective, whatever. But then that is combined with other people's notes. So when you get something back, you don't get what you sent. You get something that kind of re refers back to you at a different place, right? It doesn't address you as the person who wrote the note. Nobody knows who, who wrote it. And with time, a really cool practice that started happening was that people started claiming uh, authorship for notes they didn't write. So somebody would write a note, we would comment on it, and then three people would say, yeah, I wrote that one. Like, clearly, that's my style. But so are, these, really... are these notes organized uh, following any sort of consistent procedure, like a sort of uh, settled custom method or something like that? Or are these notes just scattered and archived. Yeah, they, we, uh, like we had a, a, a like a, I think like a WordPress website with like meeting title, like the, the number of the meeting, like the date, and then the numbering of the notes for that meeting. So you could see like the cluster of notes connected per meeting, mm -hmm. but they were anonymous and they're free-formed in terms of style or, or theme, right? So for a long time, we had like, I think no, it's no longer available online, Uh, we have it as a database. We might do something with that. For a long time, we wanted somebody who is interested in sort of, you know, data treatment to just see what could be done with this thing. It's just like this. We have like, I don't know, 500 meetings recorded with, I don't know, 3,000 notes written. And we just wanted to give this to somebody, see what would happen. But nobody wanted the trouble. But uh, so they were assigned to the meeting like that. So that basic structure, which goes form, so you enter the group. Uh, the form was a bit like the parable of the law, Kafka's, you know, where you don't cross the door because you think if you don't know it's waiting for you. People who didn't join the group usually thought that the, we were waiting, like wanting them to write something specific in the form. But we just wanted them to fill the form with whatever and they would be in, you know. It was like the easiest... Uh, thing ever. So you had the form, the meeting, and the notes. That was the basic kind of protocol. So the meetings were meant to be heterogeneous because you could join whoever you were. And the, the topic of the meeting, the main topic, sometimes we had like books or text we would comment, but most of the time, the notes and those debates would be, let's say, what really carried forward discussions. So they were really heterogeneous and they could go pretty much different directions depending on what was written in the notes. Consensus and homogeneity would appear in the second level structure I mentioned, the subsets. So you start meeting people you wouldn't engage otherwise because they come from different political fields and so on, but you might find common interests by coming to these meetings. So we would help people to create subsets that then had specific projects or specific themes or specific... So like study groups, clinical studies, or some more concrete project. We had one which was, we used to pretend, this was around 2014, we used to pretend like we work for different universities, like we would get like these fake uh, ID cards, go to different uh, uh, favelas or communities in, in the periphery of Rio and pretend to be interviewing people for some big study just to see what would happen depending on how we where we were coming from, if it was like a TV channel, a university, 
a political party and we asked like really crazy questions and started gathering the data and things like this. So we did different projects like that or subsets that were connected to uh, trade unions or trying to help out with, I don't know, a strike that was happening, a lot of cases of uh, a lot of different psychic problems were appearing. The students who were on strike with the teachers, we had a lot of psychoanalysts in the group, so they would organize and help in the strike. So, But those consensus groups or those homogeneous groups, they were the exception. They were the kind of second order structure. The first order structure was much more heterogeneous and not really going anywhere. That's why I said that the group was weirdly positioned in the left environment because people would join and say, okay, what does this do? And we didn't know what to tell them. Like, I don't think it does anything. Like, it, it seemed almost obscenely self-reflexive, right? Perhaps like a, a, a psychoanalytic process would look like. Like, if you ask, what, what, where is this going? I mean, it might not go anywhere, right? Depends on other things. So it was weird like that. What I think... Uh, marks a certain distinction, which I think is very relevant. And I think that uh, we didn't know it at the time. We only realized this in 2020 when we did like a one-year kind of evaluation of the history of the collective. And suddenly it became clear that this was very relevant, which is that between 2012 and 2016, when JP joined, we had leftist governments in Brazil. So the idea of the need for an internal critique of the left by the left uh, was not absurd because you had a leftist government, you could see the good, the bad, you could see uh, the, the difficulty of creating something a bit more radical than the government, the, the Workers' Party. So the idea that you're trying to treat uh, impasses that are internal to the left, you're not intervening, let's say, on, on the public field or you're fighting a certain hegemonic discourse or organizing protests against someone, it made a bit more sense. From 2016 up to 2020, we had uh, Dilma's impeachment in Brazil, then we had Temer's government and then Bolsonaro. And suddenly the polarity between the left and the right was very strong. And this sort of internal critique of the left by the left easily looked like something petty, out of place. It wasn't like something we, that was kind of naturally occurring, right? If we had this huge protest in Brazil in 2013. So you had a scission within the left, like what was going on, with the, what we call the June journeys here. So you had students in the streets, you had more autonomous uh, leftist groups as well, you have different political parties making like far-left parties making critiques of the worker party. So it was a, a kind of loosened kind of tension with more positions available, right? After 2016, I think that this kind of, it still exists, like, definitely, but publicly doesn't exist so much. You're supposed to kind of form a more monolithic block against fascism, against Bolsonaro. I think that... Uh, the threats, for example, that Bolsonaro represented for women's rights in Brazil, LGBTQ uh, rights in Brazil, made these organizations also stronger, more inviting to women, 
to different people involved in the queer movement. So, for example, we had a very serious gender problem in the circle, especially after 2016, because a lot of women wanted to join concrete, programmatic, interventionist groups. Uh, they didn't want to waste time having this sort of self-critique of the left. They, they had to be in the forefront of something that was immediate. So it did mark a big change. And at the time, we weren't really aware of this. Uh, what we were aware, and I think that 2016 was a big important marker in that sense, is that uh, suddenly, I think a, what, on the one hand, this formal approach was still interesting. We're still kind of trying to move forward with it, understand different ways of organizing these meetings, these subsets, having groups in different cities. How do you create a space where these different groups can see what they are doing and to combine their, their efforts. Otherwise, these subsets would always be created by people that are already, let's say, joining the group in one specific city, right? It's easy for, I don't know, three people who met in one of these meetings to form a study group. It's harder for one person in Rio, another in Sao Paulo, another in Canada, another in the States to form a study group. They need to be visible to one another in a, in a way. So those challenges, those formal inventive challenges were still open. But at the same time, it was becoming clear as well that the contradiction between the, the sort of time for this free play of inventive politics and the time of work was a major, major tension. So a lot of people who were engaged with the circle up until that point suddenly had to work two jobs. Uh, the university system was no longer allowing you to have some free time because it didn't no, no longer promise like a job after you finished your course. So suddenly, I think this became the second big wager that we, the big hypothesis we started developing, which I think a, appeared around 2016, which was, there's something about this sort of interesting productive alienation in these formal protocols that requires material conditions which are not easily available. And we started asking ourselves, okay, but how do, how do, do these two poles, so development of material conditions to allow you to spend your time inventing crazy forms of organizing, Plus, how do crazy forms of organizing help you keep the material conditions? So how do, do these two poles kind of complement each other or help each other out? I have the impression that that's the, the, the do you have that expression? Like the beach we died in, a praia in que a gente morreu. Like we, that's the, the, yeah, yeah, I understand. the hill we died on, right? Like we didn't yeah, manage yeah, to cross yeah. that hill. Uh, the beach, I mean, why not? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I think that's like, generally speaking, the, that basic structure of meetings with this entry form, the notes and the subsets, we had some added things like specific common forums, uh, a specific dynamic to try to get, uh, for example, if you guys create a subset to, to work on a political front of your interest, we try to get other members to help out only in this sort of administrative capacity, because as we said, the idea is that this organizational dimension is more tolerant to divergences. Like you can, you can abstract from certain ideological concerns 
Of course, you can say that there are ideological dimensions to how you organize, but that's actually a different debate. Uh, so people who didn't agree with your political direction could actually invest in your kind of little experiment and say, just for the sake of helping to organize and see where it would go. Uh, so we got to cross kind of uh, efforts across different movements and militants that wouldn't usually organize together as well. So all of that, I think, kept pretty steady, even after 2016, when JP joined. I think a lot of our, our engagement with the circle was based on this. But slowly, this other dimension, I think politically, the fact that the public discourse on the left changed radically, and we weren't prepared to have to defend publicly what we were doing, partially because we didn't know exactly what we were doing. Like, I'm telling you guys all of this, but... I mean, it's not for nothing that Caron and I had to meet before to talk about it because it's somehow always like something we're still working through what the hell it is that we were doing. It's still a bit uh, unclear. I, I need to ask you something. How it is that you are organized internally? What sort of hierarchies? Because when you talk about the group, uh, there is a sort of Im implicit... Uh, separation between the new members of the group and then the, the rules. So uh, do you have any sort of hierarchy in decision-making or? Yeah, that, that's important. Uh, that, I agree. That's another dimension. Uh, we, had a, we had specific roles in the group. So we had what I call the plus one, which is a rotating position. Somebody who is responsible for reading the notes and kind of creating this sort of more uh, discursive synthesis of what's going on, right? As we said, this sort of procedure. We had a different position which was not rotating. It was fixed for a longer period of time, which was the general secretary of that particular cell, right? So the localized groups, we called them cells, and then we had the subsets. So we had the, gener the, the sort of general secretary who was somebody who was responsible for keeping the administrative tasks or whole, like, just uploading the notes to the website or keeping uh, just a, a clear ledger of all the different activities the subsets were doing, things like this. Uh, it was a paid position. So everyone would pitch in with a bit of money and we would spend some of the money with things needed like costs and the rest would go to this general secretary. There was a different one for every cell. Uh, we didn't work with a voting system. We, we worked, instead of having the system of uh, one sovereign and many subjects, we worked with a system of one subject and many sovereigns, which means you can do whatever you want. You can use the name of the circle as however you want. You can propose whatever you want. If somebody has a problem with it, then they'll let you know. Otherwise, you can just move along, you know? So a lot of things happening that's also why we had this problem of making the project visible to, its, to all its participants. Because people would just use the circle structure, website, name, ideas to do very different things. There was no real control over that. So things could get quite autonomized. So bringing back this autonomized into a kind of common space where people could see the effects. Okay, what, what happened when you guys did... All work is by the following affirmation. Presence at the meetings is not a guarantee of thought. By this, we mark the distinction between presence and participation. 
Presence allows for the creation of cohesion through a common sense, invariably produced when a group discusses a common subject. Participation, on the other hand, is how we can subtract from such cohesion the reason for engaging with what resists understanding. Elaborations of the group without the presuppo. The constitution of a circle cell requires that there be at least two people. The admittance form functions a bit like the door of the law in Kafka's parable. It looks like an examination will take place and many people do in fact become paralyzed before the obscurely simple criteria of entry, but the only wrong answer is to dismiss the examination as illegitimate.
responsible for keeping common sense in check, but no However, group takes place in the steps anyone. No and a problem that wasn't really solved, right? Like, we, we really have, haven't had a solution to that, that issue. This is basically one of the issues that was going, that were going on when I, when I entered the group. This was already a problem. Uh, I entered because, of course, I was very, very, very interested in this organizational, uh, 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 you know, uh, standpoint uh, that the group uh, exemplified. Uh, yes, there was this issue, you know, this conflict between, you know, a content-based kind of uh, political uh, political action and a form-based kind of political action. The way I saw it is was like the, the form is the content in a certain sense. What 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 the circle was doing is turning into form into the content of the of the group in terms of uh, seeing how uh, making the group able to read itself in a certain sense through these formal protocols. So in a certain sense, uh, it was a kind of experimental approach to organization. And by experimental, I mean, uh, you know, you have you can experiment with axioms and rules and, you know, the formation of subsets and all of that and uh, see the consequences. Like you can, because there is a kind of suspension, as Gabriel said, like no uh, several sovereigns in one subject, like it's a good formulation. Uh, you are free to try, uh, try things out and uh, we can just see what happens in a certain sense. So this is kind of a very important thing for me. So for me, it was kind of a, a way to practically engage the problem, some, even theoretical problems that I already have, have, have been studying that relate to, you know, normativity and, you know, collective thinking and collective unfolding of actions and social form, like the constitution of a social form, right? And uh, actually, I entered because I read this text by Gabriel that was called uh, Freeing Thought from Thinkers, which the title even says what it is about in a certain sense. Like, there is a thinking, a form of thinking that is in a certain sense incorporated within the way a certain organization unfolds or, 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 or organizes itself in a certain sense. But this is not spontaneous. This is not something that happens spontaneously. You have to come up with protocols in order to, you know... Uh, I wouldn't say guarantee because it, maybe it's too strong a word, but to enable the organization to keep its formal um, purport, not not to not be too content-based, more form-based, right? And by doing so, you 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 kind of uh, are you are able to see the consequences of uh, the adoption of certain rules and certain uh, certain kinds of unfolding and. Uh, the contents that come up once those rules are applied to the different set of people that are very different also that comes with their baggage uh, into the group. So this was this was pretty important, crucial, I'd say. And also because uh, I think uh, Gabriel said this, it's a kind of important thing, really, uh, the change in government in 2016. 
Of course, there is a motivation to maybe um, avoid approaching something as, you know, esoteric as, you know, something like that, because you want, in a certain sense, uh, a direct political action. You need to take action because, you know, right wing is on power. But at the same time, I thought that uh, because... For, for me, it was more like that because uh, the Workers' Party government, in a certain sense, failed or, you know, there was the impeachment and something happened. And they didn't respond also to, you know, the 2013 uh, manifestations. They, they actually tried to repress them, you see. I thought that something like uh, actually the, the study of the internal contradictions of a kind of leftist organization was kind of important, really. But of course, uh, Gabriel is right to point also to the fact that one has to be able to engage in something. You know, the use of it is not transparent, uh, immediately transparent. I was just, I, I, I had just entered, you know, a university position, so I had kind of a, a comfortable uh, uh, situation where I, of course, could engage in something like that. It was really desperate for me, as it was for other members that are good friends and you, we know well. So, yeah. Um, I remember I saying this like many times to JP, like that sometimes he, you would mention like your experience and I'm saying, man, like you're not like standard, you know, example of people who joined the group. Like you were yeah, clearly is... very invested like for many other reasons in similar issues. Like, uh, mm. and this is something that I... I just to kind of supplement this, I think that in practice, like the group did a lot of things from like through the subsets. Uh, so just to tell like a short story of the, the sort of thing that could happen. So would have a meeting suddenly in the notes, a lot of people start to uh, say that they're not understanding a topic. So for example, we just relay this, the plus one relays this and, this pattern back to the group meetings. Some people might decide to create a subset which studies that particular topic. So people who are not understanding, they're not the same people who mil uh, are militants in the same group. They might be in different groups. So suddenly now there is a, exists a subset of people who were actually against each other in some other political front, right? Uh, but that's actually kind of content-based. But we still had some other things. So for example, notes would start emerging where the idea of the notes seems to be bothering people. Like, why do I need to write notes? And then we would mm -hmm. think, okay, we could try something else. So not only would subsets emerge from this feedback structure, but new ideas for how to structure the circle would appear. And we had like, yeah. I, generally we had like, to go along with this rule of try whatever you want and we see the effect. The idea is try whatever you want, but just report what you're going to do in our kind of online forum, our closed kind of, uh, it was actually a Facebook group. Like the, we we had for ten years a fucking Facebook group to organize it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's so, kind of embarrassing. It's very, <laughs> I, I'm really fond of that. Like just remembering that timeline it was yeah. But anyway, uh, so we would post like uh, three of us want to try this thing, and you would say what you're gonna do, and then if somebody has a problem with it, they would comment. Perhaps this would create a note that would create a, to a discussion topic in a further meeting or something like that. But sometimes these feedback structures would lead to changes in the form. So we had like a very long 
40-page conceptual project in 2012. By to, uh, 2015, people said, like, fuck this, we need a, very sh a much shorter project. So around the time uh, JP joined, we started thinking about, like, uh, 11 yeah. That was point. kind of the first. That was the first project I I, I was part of, like to rewrite the the project. Yeah. Exactly. I, so, I think actually, I think actually the my answer to the form was one of the answers that prompted the the discussion. I think I was I was very, very critical. Likely. I was very critical of the project of you know of the of the of the circle when I entered. And what's interesting, this is interesting, like when you entered, uh, sometimes this can prompt a certain discussion within the circle, but the person who entered is not able to see it. Like this is something to be freely discussed inside the group. Like the sometimes. form, you mean, right? The form, the form, just the form. Yeah, just be because the form, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of, it's, it appears like a voting, right? Like a voting process. But actually, the only, the only required thing is that the person fill the form so usually if the person fill the form they're in but this so-called let us call it let us call it a voting process this voting process happened within the the closed forum so the person who was who's trying to enter and who filled the form is not able to see the opinions people are giving about their response to the form the entrance form so i'm told that there was kind of like a, i don't know uh I think Gabriel told me something like he printed or somebody printed the discussion to this. Yeah, it was huge. It was like 40 pages long or 30 pages long, something like this. Uh, because uh, sometimes some people can just criticize the project. And we we accepted everybody that filled the form, even if they are very, very, very fiercely critical of the project. Right. I, I don't feel that I was really fiercely critical of, no, of no, the project, no. but uh, but there was some criticism that was. I, I think there was the, these criticisms were already kind of in the air. I feel it like that. It was kind of in the air in the, within the group that you know maybe the first the first draft the first draft constitution let us call it the first you know uh, project was a bit too content based. Then we should we should turn it into into a more you know formal approach. Because there was a kind of a, a kind Very of excessive. A excessive, and then a, a kind of an excessive also theoretical affiliation. I think in the first, in the first version yeah. of the program, like there was like but you and Gijek and you know Rancière and uh, and yeah that other guy <laughs> in the uh, and Agamben. Yes, you can. You yeah, can that say other guy. Well, <laughs> I think we, we can we can get you know. I mean, you talk about Facebook, and then we're talking about Agamben. Well, anyway, uh, one, one question: uh, How was was there also were there also rules in regards of how the discussions will go or how people will talk, or was that totally open? Like once you did the the I guess it was the plus one, the one the person who had to do the synthesis of all these notes and trying to bring them together. This was the first thing, and then the discussions was there any moderator or were they just totally opened what kind of a structure did you play with different structures in regards to the discussions it was one per week right or what was it yeah one per okay. week okay and was is, and is, was there a specific time frame like uh or were they I open think, ended? yeah it i think i mean i don't think we had like a 
I think we did have like we we had a time slot. It really depended because let's say for a time we rented space, uh, so we had like a slot of time we could use it for. Uh, then we did it like in different people's houses, so it could be more freeform. But it wasn't. I think that discussions and the way that the meeting was structured changed a lot over time. For example, there was a period of time where it was totally freeform. Uh, early, very early on, there was a more kind of kind of academic or professoral kind of tone because especially the time that I was kind of very much a center figure because there was only one group in Rio, two of the other guys who had written the project were not in Brazil. Uh, so I was the guy kind of putting it, pushing it forward with a friend. Uh, so I would try to convince people about the notes, synthesize the notes. There was still this kind of theoretical exposition that was kind of a constant thing. So meetings were divided into three parts, kind of a specific uh, length. Discussion of the notes, theoretical exposition, and institutional issues we had to solve, right? Uh, but that changed a lot. That's exactly one of the things that people would say, I don't think this is working, so let's try something else. And then we would try it for a couple of months and then try something else again. And things that worked well, I think that there was actually a very nice structure, which was, for example, at the height of the project, we had, I think, six different groups in Brazil. So different six different cells in Brazil happening kind of every of them, every one of them meeting once a week with subsets and things like this and plus ones and secretaries or whatever. So let's say we decide in Rio that, you know, the structure of the discussion is not working and somebody has an idea like, uh, why don't we do most of the note discussion on a, I don't know, this didn't happen, but just to give an example, like a, on the comment si section of the, of, the, of the website so that we reduce the time where we have this sort of direct commenting of notes and we just talk about this more synthetic point of view. Let's say this works very nicely. Well, if this works, if we see this in practice working, we can then try to formalize it a bit and suggest it to other, other cells in the circle. If, the, if it works in the other cells as well, we can assume that it's probably a successful organizational experiment. So we might suggest it to organizations outside of the circle who are looking for a sort of solution. So I think that today, at least in my mind, you, there are different feedback circles we could distinguish in the circle. There's the content one, for example. Mm -hmm. Somebody writes, we see a pattern in the notes that says people are not understanding something. Because the notes are anonymous, people feel less inhibited, they tell us that they're not understanding. Study groups are formed. That's kind of content-based. Perhaps the study groups are quite trivial in their structure. Then you have the formal feedback, like, let's change the way the meeting works. Or let's change the kind of overarching project that everyone follows. Let's have something more synthetic, more open-ended, that gives more autonomy to the cells, and it's not like a global project. We had discussions like that, for example. It's still internal to the pro to the circle, but it's more dealing with the formal stuff. Then there is a third feedback, which I think is the thera thera therapeutical one, like a sort of therapeutical effect. Because when, like, in a certain sense, the best theory I know to explain what we're talking about here is the theory of free association. The, the idea that you create an artificial space where you can do something that is not constrained externally, like say whatever you want, write whatever you want in the notes. When you have an artificial space 
that guarantees some level of free, associ free association, internal constraints emerge. They become more legible, like in analysis. You start speaking, suddenly you cannot avoid certain constraints, right? So we did that. So for example, something that happened a lot is that people become paranoid that somebody is pulling the strings behind the, the, the curtains in the circle, like, or that, that we are financed by George Soros, or because we don't know what it is. It's kind of useless. So what is the hidden use, right? Who's benefiting? So a lot of people kind of enacted, dramatized a lot of very common leftist fantasies regarding power, authority, why follow a rule or why not follow a rule, or where do uh, di political divergences, how should they be solved, right? By splitting, leaving, uh, all those things appeared in the group in a much higher in intensity, I think, than other places where hierarchies or kind of common uh, practice would keep it kind of hidden. So there was also this third kind of feedback, which was a sort of therapeutic thing, where people would use this uh, empty space, empty kind of uh, right, unmarked kind of rules to fill in with content that actually make something subjective about their fantasies about Stalinism, which was a big thing, I must say. Like, you know, uh, the idea that we cannot want power, the idea that anything that works too well should be, you know, met with suspicion. Like, it shouldn't be working if it's a bureaucratic kind of administrative thing or if it looks like something that you could find in a company, for example. So a lot of this kind of preconceived uh, uh, commitments that people had would also surface and we could then deal with them as well. And then the fourth kind of feedback that went on top of this was when, I think is the properly experimental one, because depending on how these other three things would work, we would end up with sort of organizational technologies. Like we could tell people that some things work that they might think that doesn't work and that might apply in different contexts, right? Since the, cir the circle was very heterogeneous, we had a very heterogeneous sample of people. We were interested in expanding that as much as possible. Uh, and you, you could kind of already displace contexts based on different cities, different languages. We had the means to say that we tested something out in a small space, then tried it in a bit less constrained or less controlled space. And if it passes all those tests, it might be useful to other people in different contexts, right? So, and those things usually were uh, kind of prescriptions concerning uh, how to deliberate, uh, how much you can trust things that are not, not fully formed or not clear in terms of their structure. They might not be on the verge of being co-opted by someone else, like this sort of kind of analytic kind of insight about problems of organization. We used to help a lot of organizations with those things. So I would say today I, I have a bit of clarity. I would say we could divide these different kind of outputs, right? I, ha I have uh, the impression that when you are describing these feedback loops, um, uh, there is this uh, common theme of evolution um, through fragmentation, you create this um, series of bifurcations via subsets and uh, you reinforce them uh, 
the production of a, a feedback loop that maybe it's reshaping other feedback loops, but at the end are, I see at least from uh, my point of view, uh, all of them as positive feedback loops that enhance the progressive fragmentation. So I am genuinely curious about proper control or regulative principles in the organization because I guess you had or you have some sort of last time it's hard to figure out who I'm speaking to now. Am I speaking to the recording? No, you're speaking to us. Last time it's hard to figure out who I'm speaking to now. It's hard to figure out who I'm speaking to now. Am I speaking to the recording? No, you're speaking to us. Just don't worry about the recording. Alright, so last time we went through the project, we went through some things. We didn't really cover the preliminary comments. This organization called, which actually has the worst name any organization has ever had, because I'm trying to figure out who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the recording. Now you're speaking to us. So last time I went to the project, went through some things. We didn't really cover everything in the project, but some of you guys suggested that some of these things were theoretical. It's not a Okay, so anyway, I think we should get started. I don't think anyone else is logging in. Uh, hi, Anna, by the way. Hi, Anna. Uh, I think we'll start with uh, the institutional news. Okay. Okay. We've been on a very long hiatus, so... It's hard to figure out who I'm speaking to now. Uh, we're going to have a global meeting this month, and I've just posted something about that on Facebook, and so that will be coordinated between Parcel and the South of Brazil. Um, there's a new subgroup starting, I think. All three people decide to say that they're all speaking longer could be part of it, right?
no? Yeah, I think that you're, you're, I think that's a crucial question in the sense that there, I think there were things that we knew that played that function of kind of a control thing, and there were things we didn't know that played that function. On the field, on the level of things we did know, my impression is that the sheer scale of the project filtered a lot of things. So, to, because it was a fragmentation within a structure, right? It was never like, just do whatever, don't tell anyone, use a different name, involve people who are not here, which is the same as just go do something else, yeah. right? But if you add the constraint, but tell us what you're going to do, uh, make it visible to others, right? Uh, and allow it to emerge from these heterogeneous cells, uh, that actually constrains what can actually be done. Uh, so I think that keeping this, I mean, this combination... And, and also, yeah, and, Sorry, also, yeah. And, also, and also something, maybe some, I, I don't think this happened a lot, but uh, some project can be also discussed. Somebody might uh, also disagree with something and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, this is also a constraint. And uh, and also because of the sheer heterogeneity, of course, uh, this is something I discussed with Martin in our, converse, our private conversation. There was kind of this desideratum that we try to keep the heterogeneous elements because we think that we thought that they were kind of uh, informative. The, the fact that you have some element in the group that disagrees, that might be confrontational, might be even, you know, aggressive and things like that. This sometimes was valued positively because yeah. it, was, it was something that, you know, uh, brought information because if, you're, you know, if you, you know, mix things up, if you, if you, you know, uh, create some kind of dissent, you get more information about the ways people react to that dissent. And uh, this was kind of something valued. But sometimes the heterogeneity was too much. So the group was not only, you know, it wasn't really a, I wouldn't say it was a growing community with no, you know, with no loss of elements. Sometimes no, not just, at all. Not at all. People just went out or lost interest. This was very common as well. Yeah. So, so this I, I think this a... is actually the, 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 like the way you described it, Martin, like, Miguel, like saying, ah, we, we had this positive kind of growth or evolution. I don't think that's really the experience people had. Like the most important feedbacks were actually failures. Like we tried something, it didn't work. That's the common thing that happened. <laughs> Not we tried something, we learned yeah, something but positive. By, but by design you are creating the conditions for the evolution of the organization based on these bifurcations or these uh, rifts or disagreements or... Yeah, but what, what, I, what I think is what, what made this not into just a transformation, but sometimes something that had the power, for example, of making us slow down. Just to give an example, it was... During the 2013 manifestations, a lot of young students from public schools joined. Suddenly, everything we used to say in the group stopped making sense because it wasn't meant to be directed at very young people with a very different kind of education. It didn't make sense to that group heterogeneous. So we had to step back and rethink everything. We didn't move forward. The group became slower. Less projects emerge. It suddenly became a concern simply 
does this structure make sense to the people who are here now? And suddenly things slowed down and we had to just have the meetings, just have the meetings for, I don't know, six months, see who would stay, uh, see what we could do in the small, smallest kind of form. So it wouldn't like just grow and grow and grow because it kind of tricked the negative into a positive feedback for new structures. Sometimes it just meant like, okay, none of this is going to work. We need to, small, to become smaller again so that the heterogeneity of the basic cells can be preserved. So we never really grew in terms of homogeneity at the expense of the basic heterogeneity of the group. Sometimes that movement happened, but I think the culture, the, what was really amazing about the culture inside the circle was that people were sensitive to the disappearance of certain differences. Like, guys, there are only men here, or there are only academics, or only people who already had political militancies well-established before. Something went wrong. So sometimes we had to step back and rethink in that sense. So it, I think it's a change. It transformed often. But to say that it evolved in a kind of growth kind of sense or expensive sense, that wasn't so linear or consistent, I'd say. But what was also a constraint, and, and I mean, this was, all of this we, we discussed, we knew, we were talking about, we were partially aware. What, what I think we were less conscious of, which is, let's say, how much of this sort of, uh, I mean, we weren't naive, but we didn't have a, a proper solution to this, I think. Which is, when you have a very heterogeneous group, and I think that this is not an experience that is that common on leftist organizations. Because if you're supposed to already agree with the party direction, you're supposed to agree with a specific kind of social demand, that creates a basic homogeneity. But when you don't have that, the first thing is that it becomes a very anguishing space because you don't know what's going to happen. You see somebody who comes from a very different background than you come. That's not a, a pleasurable experience. And we learned that in the hard way. I, I mean, I think that like, it's possible that the biggest kind of theoretical or I would say like ethical kind of principle that I was left with after the circle experience is that equality is an anguishing ex experience. Equality is not the overcoming of discontent or unbehagen. It creates a very specific sort of unease. And... On the one hand, that unease was controlling something in the group. People who came in and felt discomfort being there would leave and let us to do our thing. We wouldn't absorb everyone because this actually created discomfort and we, we weren't dealing with it. Uh, we weren't aware that we had to deal with this, uh, I think. And secondly, there was a bit of what Joe Freeman calls the tyranny of structuralness. So... I mean, it would be ridiculously hypocritical of me to say that people who were around when the group was created in 2012 didn't acquire a sort of status in the group. Like me, for example, I definitely centered a lot of responsibilities and people thought that, you know, things that I thought were good were therefore more likely to be approved in the group. That was an issue, right? So that sort of, uh, unformed, unthematized leaderships, they were a problem. And they also served as a sort of invisible control as well. Because I think it's 
leaderships in that centralized sense, they are a very kind of cheap technology to coordinate large groups. Everyone just needs to look at one or five or ten people to know where everyone's at, right? And this, so, but this, these problems will appear in the notes? Yes, definitely. Okay, so definitely. the notes were, were a way to kind of deal with and uh, with these problems. And another question was, this anonymous way of working to a certain extent, did it avoid certain positioning or, or the positioning of like, you know, individuals wanting to reassert clearly their position or political position uh, was, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether this experimental approach managed to somehow make it less of a problem, this of, you know, often positioning that occurs in, in political groups, or actually this was part of the problem. I think that there are two, two sides to this. Like the first is that, I mean, it was very common to get like, I mean, JP and I, we saw this all the time, like notes that were like one person, especially once the Workers' Party government became like, I mean, in 2013, we already had this with the manifestations. You would have like notes that are like positioning themselves, siding with the protesters, others saying that the protesters are clearly, you know, naive, ultra leftists, not understanding the hard work of the Workers' Party. Like you would have all of that, you know, and then whoever was the plus one of that meeting would have a big trouble of how you're going to associate those things. You can just put the problem on the table and see what happens. So that was one one thing. And that's, when that happened also, when that happened, people usually position themselves. Sometimes people, as Gabriel also already said, it was also common to people to, uh, uh, you know, say that they sometimes wrote even a note that they didn't, didn't write. But anyway, people sometimes said that they write the notes. So, I mean, it was yeah. quite common when there was when there was kind of a hot topic like that. People say, no, I, I wrote that note and I want to comment on it. And you have you have like a political discussion because the notes kind of, uh, uh, you know, demand the political discussion that, that are there. And the plus one is, is giving back. So, yeah, yeah this, but this I happened. Think that yeah, this happened. But I think that two things got in the way of this becoming a big problem and two things that I think are really interesting. First is that our initial hypothesis about organizational issues kind of trump certain ideological disputes. Once the group was like, in seven, eight cities. We had issues of like, how are we going to translate what we do to people who are in the States or whatever? Uh, how do we, what sort of mechanism do we create so that 90 people get a say mm -hmm. in the new project? Like most of our time was, was spent discussing these things and like political debates where we couldn't do anything about, they, they didn't have that much traction because I mean, it's, it's, I think that in a certain sense, it served as a filter for what was effective and what was not effective. Like in Badiou's parlance, it was a bit, it had organs in the sense that we could sense through these things what actually we can intervene on and what we can't. We can intervene on our own structure and make sure that other people can join, that there is more freedom of deliberation or whatever. We can't really intervene on, you know, we can just opinate on whether it's good or bad something is happening in the world. And slowly, I think interest did move towards things we could actually change and less towards just 
our opinions, even though they appeared in the notes, they weren't usually very aggressive. And then I think that the other thing that was really interesting is that the group had incredible humor. In my opinion, it was a very well-humored group. And because of this relation with Zizek, uh, which kept kind of real, like we had some engagement up until 2014, 2015, like those idea of communism lectures were published and we translated them to Portuguese. We were planning to host one of those conferences in Brazil. Our group would be uh, preparing. So a lot of people joined the group or got interested in it because apparently that's where people interested in Lacan, Zizek, Badiou are, are doing something concrete. So they came to see what it was. And Zizek has, I mean, I think it's, we could discuss here how poorly it aged his sense of humor, but regardless, that I think the core of it that that functions. We could see in practice that it does function, which is we had very weird humor about the worst of left of the left. So we would play, with, like make jokes about. Okay, now we're gonna divide the group and create to like calling each other Stalinist, saying we would send each other to Gulag or whatever. It, 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 we, there was such a parody of dissent inside the group that I think stupid dissents didn't really get that much traction. And, and I don't know where that humor came from. I have the impression that it came from Rafael, our first general secretary, who mm -hmm. just, I don't know how he embodies this, this very weird spirit of, uh, I don't know, he's the guy I know who has the greatest pleasure on talking about himself as, as if he's just an instrument of the party. You know, there's nobody ruling over him, but he just knows the grammar to speak as if mm. he's being told what to do. I don't know how he, it's like, when I do it, it's kind of forced, but he was amazing with it. And I think it really influenced the kind of nice atmosphere. That also filtered a lot of this, the sense that wouldn't go anywhere. You know, people would just say, well, you know, I respect your what you what was written in the note. I, I'm sure it was you, but it's a good thing I don't know it was you. Otherwise, I would have to put you in my black book, and then everyone would laugh. And, you know, nothing else would fall from it. So that was just it. Yeah, in a certain sense, this the sense of humor diffused kind of real dissent sometimes, right? You could just make a joke about it and and go on because you know we're kind of focusing not on what is not on what you know is uh, common from the point of view of, certain, of a certain leftist identity, but on what was indifferent, right? Like, uh, I think the one of the main concepts of, you know, that Gabriel was mentioning the hypothesis, the communist hypothesis, uh, one of the interesting things of the hypothesis of the group was this kind of to focus on the, what is indifferent in a certain sense, not what is different between the the members and the indifferent though though is not really also you know some kumbaya thing that we are you know joining you know a bonfire and and playing songs but it is also some some sort of anguish sometimes like you 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 end up there asking yourself what have i what is in me that is differentiates me from that person that i find so annoying in the group but in a certain sense, this is part also of the therapeutical circle that we're, you were talking about, right? Yeah. And to focus in that indifference and, and to see that this indifference has a kind of productive, um, a productive side and diffused some petty 
competitions that might uh, might come about, but also that is also a sort of anguish is also what makes uh, plausible the hypothesis that there are specifically communist problems. Communism is not a solution to cap, just a solution. You know, communism is a problem. Like there are specific problems that have to do with upholding radical equality and trying to uphold radical equality. As Gabriel mentioned, of course, uh, you know, uh, it's not for nothing that I met, that suggested that we invite Gabriel because he's a founder. So, of course, there is kind of a, uh, there is a difference between those who founded the group and, you know, myself, that I'm a latecomer. So, of course, there are kind of, a, uh, you know, uh, uncontrolled kind of hierarchy that might come about, of course. But there is nevertheless, this is material for elaboration. There is, there is kind of an effort to bring this in uh, as a theme for discussion and a theme for, you know, re-elaboration within the group, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, so, to the point uh, also that, I mean... Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting sorry. that you mentioned because um, I guess that we had like uh, two weeks ago, Mario Aguiliano, um, a young guy from the Basque country, who is actually doing uh, his PhD, I think in Oxford, criticizing, uh, I guess, post-Marxism and then, but also like, yeah, so he's criticizing Zizek, but you and Laclau and Muth. And he's having quite a strong critique to Zizek in regards to the way that is quite specific in regards to yeah, his understanding, his specific understanding of alienation, more in the psychoanalytic realm, makes him kind of uh, put in the background or don't give, put, don't give enough emphasis to, you know, the alienation of labor, you know, of, of, of labor in the, you know, so there, that's, there is a kind of lack of, uh, critique of political economy in Zizek's account and I uh, wonder whether you try to maintain uh, this kind of critique of capitalist totality while using these experimental techniques or maybe was this also not so central or how was, how was this balance between Mm -hmm. I think I think that one thing is worth saying, which connects with what Caron was saying, and that I think it goes directly to your point. Uh, this thing, this idea that, which I mean, no, I really, we didn't start with this idea. It just kind of was the best way to account for what was happening, yeah. which was that we only saw concrete common traits, which were not ideological commonalities, where problems emerged. Like where organizational problems emerged, we had concrete points of equality because nobody knew what to do with it. So we're all equal because we're all kind of ignorant regarding what to do. So that idea connected negativity. I mean, you get like late 20th century continental philosophy, includes Zizek, all those, all the, the known names. They all have this nice point about communism, negativity, critique of identity. There is something about the common within the negative. Like, you, we, we know that kind of discourse. But the idea that it takes structure 
for negativity to be productive uh, and, uh, and to have a kind of rational framework to talk about this sort of disjunction between what we intend to do and what we're actually doing and what sort of structure needs to be in place so that a problem that emerges in an organization can be the, the opportunity to re re relocalize everyone and see everyone who were coming from different places as part of something that's the same. That's not there. So I don't think the I think we can say that the group was inspired by Zizek, by Francier, so on. But I don't think that the actual experience was directed by any particular philosopher. On the contrary, I think since then, JP and I have been working different fronts, like we taught different seminars together, we're part of the same kind of uh, research group. Just trying to, in a certain sense, just trying to understand what the hell is that thing that we did, you know? In a so, certain, yeah, and it's, it's good to mention that the research group is, is a subset of, you know, the circle. Like, started as a subset of the circle. Yeah, it and started as a subset. And now it's a yeah. subset of nothing because there is no yeah. circle. Anymore. There's no but, set, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I think this is important that you mentioned this, no? because I was going to ask you what about your current activity in comparison yeah. with the activity of other circles. So what's the situation now? Just, just before we, we talk about the STP, our current thing, I'll just say something which I think is relevant to this, what Caron said about indifference. Which is, you know, the circle, it, we can't really dissolve it because it's part of the project that anyone who follows the rules that we wrote there, we everyone will consider as part of the circle. So if anyone takes the project that already exists, is available, if anyone takes it and continues, nobody has the power to say that you're not doing the same thing. So in a certain sense, it, we can't really say it's over. It's just that nobody is following those rules, I think. Right? Currently, yeah. Currently, yeah. So in that sense, the, the project was over. The, the, that organization was dispersed. Part of the, of the idea at the time of dissolution or, or the time of, that we stopped, right, we interrupted, was that something had to be rethought about motivation, form, how to deal with movements. For example, we had the intuition that we shouldn't have individual members, but organizations as members, probably due to the new ecology of the left in Brazil. So there was the idea that there, we had to think what the hell happened and how to move forward. And the, the group that formed with people who brought their research together under like a very vague but common header of these questions was the subset of theoretical practice, uh, which happened, meets every Monday uh, that, that you guys mentioned now. But yeah, you guys can just, if you want, just pick the circle.
I guess now you can talk about the last big text or project, uh, the Atlas of Experimental uh, Practice, no? That's Atlas of Experimental uh, Politics, uh, yes. Atlas of Experimental yeah. Politics, sorry. Yeah. Uh, that's a kind of... Uh, it comes from all these years of, um, of working together? In a certain or, sense, it's tricky to say that. I'd okay. say... I'd say there's a certain, I mean, a certain set of uh, concerns that have, of course, have to do with the circle. 
but the current in, in the current composition of the subset is not only people who are in the circle there are people who came in after uh, this uh, let us call it the end of the circle but as, as Gabriel said it's not really an end but anyway the you know this idle idle phase of the, of the circle so they are not really members of the circle some of them they just came I in I think the majority uh, in fact yeah the majority I think right I mean uh, I don't remember who's who wasn't uh, you Dennis and I perhaps and yeah maybe maybe somebody else somebody else Reza Reza was not in the circle no yeah, he was okay uh, <laughs> so yeah and uh, but but there of course there's a kind of a kind of a set of concerns that have to do with this of course uh, of a kind of organizational point of view and also a multi-scalar kind of point of view that was of course part of the concerns of the group uh, when Gabriel mentioned uh, how do you make visible the stuff that is going locally in the cells to you know the bigger to big to the bigger you know composition of the of the circle this kind of problem the problems of visibility of the social sphere that was central in, at a certain point of course uh, we were discussing here in a kind of informal way much in a much more practical way like how does this uh, came about and how does this became important in practice of course because the group was even if there was kind of a set uh, a bunch of different subsets that had kind of um, theoretical concerns but more, many of them were kind of practically engaged in practical political projects as well so the thing i think what's different in the subset is that it's a much more you know uh, theoretical space to elaborate the theoretical consequences of what what was going on in the circle that was going on in a much more practical level and therefore very important of course it wouldn't come about without the practical level but less visible than with a certain you know hindsight theoretical hindsight that we we have now and assembling a set of different uh, theoretical uh, tools and assumptions that may aid us in reading and understanding what happened for instance you know the engagement with the work of Alain Badiou, that was kind of a subject for one year. We, we read like uh, Logic of Words for one year in the subset, and then Kojin Karatani, and my own uh, preoccupations with, uh, you know, Wilfred Sellers, neo-rationalist, Robert Random, the kind of normative space that, you know, of course, has a pretty evident connection to this kind of unfolding that was happening in the in the circle, even though most, most people in the circle didn't know about this particular theoretical, you know, assumptions that I brought to the circle at the, at the point and that motivated my entrance, basically. So it's not really just also responding to the Zizekian things, not really just, you know, as yeah. a bunch of Zizekians. It was more like a, there, is a, there is a real problem here going on that interests lots of different, you know, uh, different uh, theoretical orientations and uh, orientations with certain practical problems as well. Yeah, I so, think that also this, I think it's crucial to say because we're emphasizing the connection between the circle and what we're currently doing. But most people there, they didn't like have any connection with the circle. And I think it actually shows that the sort of minimal research program we left that experience with, uh, which I think can be summed up in two big theses. I, I have the impression that the at least the way I, I like to formulate it is to say like the first big problem we're dealing with is what would be a theoretical framework which is rich enough, uh, uh, expressive enough so that economical and organizational issues can be treated as part of the same space. So 
you would be able to make a statement of the sort. Of course, you need to be careful with it, but something like, you know, economies are very large organizations and organizations are very small economies, something like this. So you need to have a scale sensitive uh, set of conceptual tools that apply under certain restrictions and variations to talk about large scale social formations, but also about smaller localized collective processes, keeping the, being able to differentiate the fact that not, not everything works the same way at different scales. So I think that's a very large concern, how to connect political economy, critique of political economy with theory of organization at a more intimate level than we have in Marxism, where those are actually two different set of tools, right? Uh, and the second big uh, kind of research problem, I think, concerns what, what would this framework have to be so that political processes can be treated as political experiments, meaning how can political processes, real political processes, be the prescriptive part that actually evaluates statements made within this big theoretical framework? So how to also make more intimate the connection between the theoretical development. So it needs to be a kind of empty formal approach so that it can actually be filled with something concrete that actually probes into real situations rather than just fill it over with large social diagnosis and things like that. Yeah, and, and this is this is also very very clear from the manuscript, from the you know the publication, latest publication, uh, from the presence of the case studies. Like the case mm -hmm. studies are there in order to, you know, uh, test kind of uh, the theoretical assumptions that are put forward in the in the manuscript as a whole. Also it is important to stress that uh, it was interesting also uh, the assembly of a, such a, such a writing, like such a manuscript, is in itself was in itself kind of an organizational experiment because the people involved are also kind of heterogeneous theoretically. So it had to kind of create that you know theoretical space that is mainly uh, you know done through category theory in this in this particular endeavor. Where these different points of view could, in a certain in a certain way, engage in productive ways, and of course, the the kinds of uh, problems are a bit different from section to section. And the thing is that the sections were were, were most of the sections were uh, written by different people, with sometimes with very different uh, theoretical assumptions, which is in by itself kind of a, a, a also a, a kind of interesting organizational experiment in terms of uh, the theoretical practice, since we are the subset of theoretical practice, like theoretical practice as also a, a place of uh, experimentation with organizational form in a certain sense. Yeah. It's funny it's because, uh, you know, like we were talking about this idea of sometimes like that we had this wager that organizational problems were actually the positive uh, or the concrete kind of a situated version or, or opportunity for having a common experience rather than just sort of positive uh, common things. But when we were writing this atlas, I came across this really cool but really weird text written by these two mathematicians from Belgium, uh, where they propose a sort of dual structure to you know this categorical uh, structure called the sheave, right? This, this whole thing with sheaves, which today is, is like a hipster concept. Mm -hmm. But it's all about like gluing together things that are not overlap just a bit, right? You have these sets that partially overlap. They don't fully overlap. It has a nice kind of resonance with 
you know, family resemblances in Wittgenstein's sense, but you can glue them together to form a coherent global picture. And these guys propose the dual of that, meaning you have separate or divergent global structures. They overlap globally at some points. For example, people who have different philosophical views. They just touch at different points. And they type, rather than construct a global picture out of local fragments, they try to construct one local object out of incompatible global pictures. They call it a conciliation rather than a sheath. And I think that that's exactly what we try to do with this text. We mm -hmm. came up with one diagram yeah. that we try to like be a non-trivial object where globally incompatible kind of pictures would meet, but only at that place, really. You know, it's not. We try to kind of connect the different sections with a cross-reference system, but it's definitely not turning it into a unitary kind of approach. Uh, that I, I'm saying this just because somebody's listening and wants to just come to the meeting or join or participate, there is absolutely no necessity that you, you know, agree with a bunch of theoretical points. Uh, the group is very open to different uh, approaches. We do have, uh, the way that I described it, I don't think it's like everyone would agree, these two big problems. But I think this sort of general concern is kind of common to everyone, but people are quite heterogeneous in their backgrounds or their interests in the group.